I, I just, last week we had to cancel because of the snow. I came up here, though. I did. I was with my nephew, and he was so looking forward. My nephew is, he's not a believer. He grew up, you know, Jewish, and he was so looking forward to the Shabbat service, and, and then we had to cancel, so he, but we came up here just in case anybody showed up. And guess what? Nobody showed up. <laughs> not even the, plow, the snow plows, but... Um, but he did go with us to um, the Hanukkah service over at Church in the City of Beth Abraham. He was really, he really enjoyed that. So it was really cool. So, but I just uh, feel like this message has been kind of stirring on me and we've been sharing about it. And, and um, God wants us to, to really get back and embrace and go back and, and, and to really go dig into our biblical roots and um, because there is things going on in the church, in the world, that will basically cut us off from the biblical roots of the Tanakh. And we need to be aware of these things that are going on. I've been talking about that, but I want us to, to be aware of that. And I want to talk about the nature of God that we see in the Tanakh. And uh, so first of all, I want to read from, so if you would turn to... Um, Matthew chapter 5. This is a f- familiar passage of Scripture. We know that Yeshua is, is bringing the Torah from the Mount of Beatitudes. He says, you've heard it said this, and I say this. And then he comes to this portion of Scripture. In verse 17, he says, do not think that I have that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen. I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or serif shall ever pass away from the Torah until all things come to pass. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and, and teaches others the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and Torah scholars, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. Our Father and our King, I thank you, Lord, that you are good, you're faithful, you're loving. Lord, you're calling us to, to really delve into your word, to delve, calling us to, to delve into who you are and to, as we've heard, to, to just to seek after intimacy and, and relationship with you above all else, Lord God, that you would truly be our first love. And so, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me, Lord, to, to bring forth this word today. Not an easy word, but, Lord, that you would... You would anoint me to help bring forth the word that you have for us today. Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Yeshua is basically saying in this passage of scripture, it will stand, his word will stand as God's word until all is fulfilled. And we've talked about this many times in this congregation that, you know, fulfilled doesn't mean ended or abolished. Yeshua didn't say those words in order to say, hey, guess what? We're starting over afresh. We're starting new. 
He didn't come to start over or to alter or annul or abolish his own word. He didn't come to apologize that his words were so difficult to obey. As a matter of fact, his role as Messiah, we talked about this a few weeks ago when I shared about at Hanukkah, I said, where he revealed himself. He says, you know, they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And he says, I am Ben Elohim, the son of God. I do the works of the Father. His role as the Messiah depended entirely on the conviction that he must fulfill Torah and Tanakh, everything in the Tanakh, to fulfill every word, every promise, every divine proclamation that had been uttered by the Godhead since creation. He came to fulfill. And that word fulfill, you look it up in the dictionary, it says to bring to reality. Doesn't mean to stop or to end or we're starting something new. Means bring to reality to achieve something that's been promised or desired or predicted. That's what fulfill means. And we see throughout the Gospels, Yeshua confronting religious leaders, Torah scholars, Pharisees, who didn't understand, who, who had taken tradition and, be, and, and put tradition at the same level as the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, we read in Mark chapter 7, and I'm not going to go to it today, but he rebuked the Pharisees and the Torah scholars for making tradition a basis for doctrine instead of the very word of God. You see, the situation was the disciples were hungry and they were eating bread without the ritual washing that had become tradition, but had been lifted up to become doctrine for all of them that the Torah, the Torah uh, scholars had lifted it up. And then Yeshua really cuts into them. He says, you set aside the commandments of God to validate your own traditions. He rebuked them for not, and then he goes on to say, and this is even more powerful. He says, you know, you don't even honor your parents. You give away what you were supposed to give to your parents. You're not honoring them financially. In Matthew chapter 12, he settled arguments by referring back to the Tanakh. They were saying, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Shabbat? You're healing on the Shabbat. Is it permit, permitted to heal on the Shabbat? And he refers to helping, he, he refers back to the Torah, where it says if, if you have a neighbor and, and they have a sheep that falls into a pit, are you allowed to help them? Yes, you are on the Shabbat. So much more if somebody is in pain or hurting to bring healing to them on the Shabbat. It is permitted to heal, to do good on the Shabbat. So he is, he's entering into these arguments, but he's always referring back to the Tanakh, to the prophets and to the Torah, always referring back. And then he describes the end-time eschatology. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, 24. And this is so important, especially in this day. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29, says, But immediately after the trouble of those days, talking about Jacob's troubles, talking about the days that we are entering into, I believe, he's prophetically speaking. He said, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will send out his angels with a great shofar, and they will gather together his chosen from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Yeshua is, he's, he's going back, he's referring back to the prophets and to the Torah in sharing about the end days. He's referring to Isaiah chapter 13. He's referring back to a prophecy given to Daniel in, Je in Daniel chapter 7 about the end days. He's referring back to a prophecy from Zechariah in chapter 9 declaring his triumphant return. See, Yeshua didn't come to start over. He came to fulfill that what had already been promised. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this, we all know this in here, but the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because there is a movement, a not-so-subtle movement in the body of Messiah today to basically saying we don't need the Old Testament scriptures anymore, and yet Yeshua re relied upon them. He, re he referred to them all the time, as did the apostles. The biblical roots of our faith are found in the Tanakh and found in the Torah and fulfilled in Yeshua, yes, but promised. And so that, and especially today, and I was looking about this today, there's a lot of fear in the world about the things that are happening in the Middle East. You know, the people are going, oh, we're going to go into war and this is terrible and all of that's going on because we did this and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I just, wait a minute, I know there's scripture that talks about exactly what's going on today. And so I started reading, even today, I started reading Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39, Zechariah chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way through 14. And it talks specifically about what is going on today. As a matter of fact, it even it mentions the nations by name that are going to be coming against Israel. You know? It said, the prince of Tubal and Meshach. And it talks about Gog and Magog. And it talks about Persia. Hello, what is Persia today? Iran. And that they're going to come against the Holy One of Israel. You see, it's prophesied. Things need to take place. We can see it being fulfilled as we're speaking today. As we're, as we're here today, we see, it, we see the alliances taking place in the Middle East. And if you don't know what the Word of God says in the Torah, in the Tanakh, it could bring fear. Like, oh man, it's all going to end. And yet, Yeshua said, this has got to take place. And then, the end will come. Of all people who should have confidence in the nature and character of God, it is us as his children, as his believers knowing the full counsel of the Word of God. And I want to talk about the nature of God as we see it in the Old Testament. It is not obsolete. It has not been annulled by the New Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I am Adonai. I do not change. His character in nature is always on full display. Answer that phone, it may be the Lord. Or shut it off because it may not be the Lord. God is love. And we hear that. We hear that so often. God is love. But the problem is we try to define love 
according to our own standards or how the culture defines love. That's the problem. You see, today, real love, as characterized by by our culture and by the society we live in, is tolerance of any and all behavior deemed acceptable by that culture. You just got to accept it. And so we have same-sex marriage because, you know what, that's real love. And who are we to say that that's not love? Well, the scriptures right here say this is the way of love. And then we also have, and this is entered into the church is greasy grace in church where biblical standards of holiness are mocked as too constraining and it leads to seeker friendly clubs what I like to call them seeker friendly clubs we don't want to offend anybody guess what Yeshua offended my I, I, I was he, he offended my, my, my heart because of I was walking in contrary ways to him. And he had to reveal that. And that offended me at first. But he wants to bring me into an understanding of who he is and his love. True love. So there's that greasy grace that we see all over the body of, of Christ today. And it's where holiness is mocked. And we just want to reach people. And we want to just accept everything. All behavior. Or love, in another definition, is so narrowly defined it becomes legalistic or strangling or bondage or religion. And see, when, when we misunderstand the character of God, the nature of God, and him being a loving God, the ancient heresies that have been around for thousands of years begin to seep their way back into the church. There's a, there's a heresy. It's nothing new. It started back in... 200, 200, less than 200 years after Messiah, called Marcionism. Anybody ever heard of Marcionism? Started by a, a man, a bishop, the bishop of Sinope. His name was Marcion in 144 AD. And, and basically he said, you know, Jesus was the Savior sent by God, and Paul was his chief apostles. Got no problem there. But then what he did was he rejected the Hebrew scriptures and the God of Israel. Basically, his theology, his theology was that the God of the Old Testament was a wrathful, a separate lower entity than the all-forgiving New Testament God. Yep, really. So the seeds were sown early with this heresy called Marcionism that started a dichotomy, the dichotomy of God. In other words, God somehow was one way in the Torah, in the prophets, and, and then Jesus came. And Jesus saved us from that wrathful God. What a deception. What a lie from the pit of hell. What a lie from the pit of hell. A dichotomy of the God in the Bible. Harsh, demanding versus the all-loving, forgiving, accepting God. And yet God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But how has this come in? And I've shared about this in the past. Is we have pastors who have stood up, and I quote this. This is a quote from a very well-known pastor. The gospel of Jesus 
And I'm using the word Jesus because they're using the word Jesus. Okay, I call him Yeshua. And there's nothing wrong with the word Jesus, but as a Messianic Jew, I call him by his name, Yeshua. He said, the gospel of Jesus is completely detached from everything that came before. That's a quote from a well-known pastor. Then why did Yeshua come to fulfill everything that had been spoken before? You see how dangerous and how a slippery slope that is? It's a demonic heresy that's encroaching into the church today. And I speak this out because we need to ask for discernment because we're going to be hearing it. We're going to be hearing it. It's going to be taught from, it is, it is already being taught from pulpits. <laughs> Sky, I'm sorry for this. This is we just have, you know, little, you know, um acoustics that come up and everything like that every once in a while. Where was I at? But this is serious stuff, guys. Demonic heresy is encroaching into the church today. We need to ask for that for that gift of discernment to know, to know what to stand on. There's a very similar uh heresy you've probably heard, Gnosticism. It's very similar to, to Marcionism. And basically what this says, and I'm simplifying it, because if you really want to get into it, you can study these, but I don't really encourage you to, because they've kind of led, they've led thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people astray over the last, over the millennium. Gnosticism. That the world was created by an imperfect spirit. That somehow everything that exists out there was created by an imperfect, less than God. But our spirit is divine. You see, we need to, to understand is that God is the creator God. The same God of Genesis 1 is the same God in Revelation chapter 22. He created all things. You know, he... He spoke to Adam, created Adam. In the Torah to Adam was, everything here is yours. Freedom, 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 except this tree over here. You don't need that. As a matter of fact, when you eat of that, you will surely die. And we know what happened. And because of what Adam did, we have all, because of Adam's fail, failure, we are born sinners. And then we come into a, a, a place into our life where we have an encounter with Yeshua. And he comes in and he takes out the old, dead, unredeemed heart, the old man, and he gives us his Holy Spirit and he's living inside of us. That's the divinity of God that lives inside of me. It's only through Yeshua. It's not my own spirit. Matter of fact, my spirit was dead. The scriptures, Romans chapter 6, my spirit was dead to God and alive to the world, to sin, to Satan. He had to give me a new heart, which made me a new creation. But you see, we need to understand that this, basically, if, if believing this Gnosticism is that I can do anything I want. I live in a fallen world, and so therefore I'm able to do anything I want because I'm already divine. That's a lie. That's a lie. You see, today, too many people contrast the New Testament 
God loves you to the Old Testament God of harshness, a God of judgment. We hear it today. I hear it today. You spend time in conversation with people. You'll hear it. Such things like, why would a God of love kill innocent women and children? Have you ever heard that? Come on, we've all heard that. And they'll even point you to scriptures. And, you know, we, could, we can sit there and try to explain to them what God is doing. He's trying to establish a, a holiness, a, a, you know, but, but still, that, that is a prevalent belief that a lot of people have. Another, another thing you'll hear is grace. And grace is a misunderstood. Grace is, God is grace, and, and we need to understand biblical grace. And I see so much grace through the Torah, so much grace in the prophets. But some people will say grace is a New Testament concept, only in the New Testament. And I'll show you a scripture later where I'll show you where that lie has manifested and come in. And then you'll also hear this in conversations too. I hear it, I've heard it even recently. How can a loving God condemn people to an everlasting torment? Have you ever heard those? No, those are valid questions. And those are things we all need to struggle with. But God gives us his answer in his word. He gives us his answers in his Torah. He gives us his answers in, his, in, in the prophets and in the letters. I don't need the New Testament to show me the answers that God has for those. He's a holy God who wants to have relationship with us. That's what it's all about. But because he's a holy God, he can't change that nature of who he is. But there's a way to approach him, a holy God. And that's what the commandments are all about. That's what, that's what it's all about. He wants us to come into that place of fellowship with him. And you've heard this too also. I'm putting two of those words, too also. You've heard this too also. That's not proper, is it? It's not proper English. Hell isn't real. There is a very, very popular belief in the church. Hell doesn't exist. And yet I read through the scriptures. I read what Yeshua said, and it's all through there. So if hell isn't real, um, then it's based on I'm a good person. I'm a good person, and therefore I get to go to heaven. You, there's so much weird stuff out there, guys. So much weird stuff out there. So 1 John chapter 4. I'm coming to the close here, so we'll move quickly here. 1 John chapter 4, in verse 16, says, We have come to know and trust in the love that God has for us. Now, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we need to see God's love and his mercy. We need to see God in, in the actions. And, and even in the midst of judgments, we need to see God's love. You see, that is another aspect of his nature, is that God judges. He judges. How many here have ever been judged by God? Yeah. You know, but... Hallelujah, we, we have got the, the, the ideal defense attorney living inside of us. His name is Yeshua. 
who says, because he's in me, because he's my son, because he's my, she's my daughter, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. But we need to see the aspect of, of love even in his judgments. See, John understood that by being, he was with Yeshua for at least three years. He was with me. He was the one that wrote, the word became flesh. And he, he was with Yeshua who, who, who quoted his own scriptures, his Jewish scriptures. And he wasn't quoting from the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was quoting from Torah. He was quoting from the prophets. So the God of love in the Old Testament, and man, I see so much. Do you think we're talking about Joseph today? Did Joseph experience the love of God even in the midst of falsely accused and being thrown into prison? He experienced the love of God. He experienced the favor of God. Even when he was left in prison and forgotten. You think David experienced the love of God? Have you read the Psalms? He expresses this heart of love to God. You know, you can read about David through the Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Samuel. You can read all about what David, who he was and what he did. But you really understand his heart of love and God's heart towards him when you read the Psalms. You see, I see love all through there. You think Moses experienced the love and grace of God? Oh, man. We talk about the God of love in the Old Testament is also the God of judgment in the New Testament. A lot of times people don't understand there. There's much judgment in the New Testament. Let's look at some scriptures. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. <clears throat> and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul instead fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna hell by the way who's saying those words Yeshua Romans chapter 11 verse 21 for if God did not spare the natural branches the Jewish people neither will he spare you in other words, don't be arrogant because there's going to be problems. If you become arrogant towards the Jewish people, God's not going to spare you. Is there any judgment in there? Acts chapter 5, verse 10. You know the story, the church, the, 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 the New Testament, Kehilah, birthed out of Shavuot, and man, it's just taken off. It's, it's exploding. And, you know, I've heard one estimate. I don't know how true it is, but within like 10 years, 20 years, half of Jerusalem knew the Lord, was, was walking in salvation. I don't know. I heard there was a population of maybe 200,000, 100,000. I don't know. But here's the situation in Acts chapter 5. We know what happened with Annas and Sapphira. Here it says, immediately she fell, in verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and died. No judgment or anything like that. God is God of just mercy and love and grace. And just when the young men came back in, they found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And then it says, and great fear came over the whole community and all who heard these things. 
See, that word fear is the same as phobos, the Greek word phobos. Fear, dread, terror. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah so that each one may receive what is due for the things he did while in the body, whether good or bad. And then we also read the Apostle John's letters to the churches in Revelation. Have you read the first chapters of Revelation recently? Revelation 2.23. I will also strike her children with a deadly disease. Then all of Messiah's communities will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. And to Laodicea, a little bit later, he says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. These are New Testament congregations. No judgment there? Hello? God is saying there's a standard here. I'm calling you to walk in my standard. And by the way, there was no New Testament at that time. They were still relying upon Torah and the scriptures of the Tanakh, the prophets. That's what they were using. So somehow, when somebody says, we don't need those, we, we, we need to become unhitched from the Old Testament scriptures, don't buy into it. When somebody says, all we need is Jesus, and that's all we need. No, we need to understand the roots of our biblical faith, because we need to stand on that. We need to stand on that. <coughs> Just as the apostles did in that day. See, it's a double-edged sword, the sword of love. It's the same God of love that reaches out to us and saves us and heals us and delivers us and accepts us, also judges our actions and rebukes us and dis disciplines us. But we don't want to be disciplined today. We just want to be, we just want to live and let be, let, let, let be. Just, just let me do whatever I want to do. And yet, discipline is part of who God is, his nature. So I want to bring things to a close here. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to close in a time of worship. As we read the Tanakh, and, and if you don't understand what I'm talking about, Tanakh, it is an acronym that's, that talks about Torah, Navaim, the, the prophets, and the Ketim, the Ketuvim, the letters. So when I'm talking about the, the Tanakh, I'd rather use that than the Old Testament. That just sounds so obsolete, Old Testament, although it's not. So I'm using the term Tanakh to refer to Torah, to the prophets and to the letters, and the letters being like um, uh, pro Psalms, Proverbs. What are some of the Esther? Some of the, the letters of the um, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Those are would be considered the letters. Worship team, come on up. Two aspects of love that we see in the Tanakh. In other words, there's two Hebrew words that we see over and over throughout the Tanakh that, see, we, 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 love is, is a word that we use here, and we kind of throw it around, I love my shirt. 
It's not the same that I love the Lord, but I love Mexican food. You know, so we just throw that word about. But in the scriptures that we read in the Tanakh, there's, there's specific words for love, and they have specific meanings. The first word is ahava, ahava, which is an election, the love of God, an election. His sovereign choice to love something or someone. And we see this when he chooses Israel because of his ahava, his, his election. He elects Israel. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says, it is not because you are more numerous than all the peoples that Adonai set his love on you and chose you. Rather, because of his love for you and is keeping the oath he swore to your father. So there's an election Love For God so ahava the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, ahava, election, his overall love of creation. You see, everything he created in Bereshit, it is good, it is good, it is good. He created human man, humankind, he says, it's very good, it is very good. Everything is based on his ahava, his, his election love. And then there's another love that we read about, chesed. It's a covenant kind of love. The love of God that it's also translated as loving kindness and mercy. Chesed. Loving kindness and mercy and compassion. This is that grace kind of love. It's a love that he imparts, and it's a prerequisite for obedience. He loves all of his creation, but when we come into relationship with him, he pours his loving kindness and his mercy into us so that through, as we get to know who he is and we walk in the knowledge of who he is, we're able to, to love him. He gives us the ability to love him back. That chesed love is persistent love. It's a determined love. It's a steadfast love. It's a, it's, a God, it's, a, it's a love of God that transcends all, everything by its very depth. We need to understand the love of God. I'm going to close with just reading Psalm 136. But before I get there, I want to show you a scripture. And I want to talk about, because we've been talking about this kind of dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament, very dis, uh, dangerous things happening. And, and let, me, let me show you a scripture. If you would put up um, John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The first one, I'm talking about the King James Version. Okay, this is it. Can you, is it possible to get both verses up there at the same time? Or no? No, Okay. But it says, we'll go back to verse 16. And, and this is what I mean. This is a subtle thing that's been going on for 2,000 years. A, a separation of the word. Um, in verse 16, and this is the King James Version, which is probably the most, re, most read version of the Bible for the last how many years? 500 years? I don't know. How many years has the King James Version been around? Verse 16 of chapter 1, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. 
For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Sounds good. Is there a problem? Anybody see a problem in here? There's a word that was not in the original, but, which changes ever so subtly, but ever so importantly, the true meaning of this. For the law was given by Moses. Mm. Law, harsh, demanding, a mean God, punishing us. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see how this that one word that has been inserted in there that was not in the original changes the meanings. It would say basically that there was no grace, there was no truth in the Torah. But put up the, the scripture in, in a more accurate, it says, verse out of the fullness we have all received grace on top of grace. Grace keeps on growing in us. Verse 17, Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua, the Messiah. We have both. We have the Torah. We have the instructions of God, the foundations of our belief. And grace and truth came through Yeshua in order for us to fulfill the Torah that he's already fulfilled for us. Isn't that so? You see how over the centuries... Something can come in and weasel its way in and change people's perspective. It's almost like law, Torah, bad. Grace, Jesus, good. What do you want? Oh, I want the good. So I don't need Torah anymore. You see what I mean? That's why we have to know what the Word of God says. Everything in Tanakh speaks about Yeshua. Everything in Tanakh lays down who God is. I learn more about the very character and nature of God in reading the Torah and the prophets. And that's what the apostles of the New Testament relied upon, was what they read in their Old Testament scriptures. Does that, that, sound, that make sense? <coughs> Psalm 136. and We're going to get ready to enter into a time of, of worship. <clears throat> I'm not going to read the whole chapter here, but the thing I want to point out is, is this. Psalm 136 talks about God's loving kindness from creation all the way through. And after every statement it says, for his loving kindness endures forever. And so there's a, a response, every statement. Then it goes on to say, for his loving kindness endures forever. And some people will get tired of saying, for his loving kindness endures forever. But it's there <coughs> for a reason. It talks about God's attributes it talks about his loving kindness and his mercy and his forgiveness and who he is from creation all the way through. And then he says, for his loving kindness endures forever. 
His loving kindness, his chesed, endures forever. It's a declaration of his loving attributes from the beginning of creation. Our relationship with him is based on his never-ending covenant love and mercy since the beginning of time. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me as we enter into a time of worship? And I'm just laying some foundations because I really, really believe that the season that we are in, I used to say we're entering into. We're in it, guys. We need to know what God's word says. We need to pray for discernment and understanding of what God's word says. Because we, it never changes. His word never changes. It's not relevant. It's not relative to the culture that I live in here today in Denver in the United States in 2020. It's different in the Philippines or it's different in Israel. It's the same word of God. It's the same word of God. And I love it when I hear, you know, when, when Aaron is, he, he's memorizing the word because the word is life. The word is our sustenance. And when we have the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, energizing the word within us, giving us discernment to know what is truth and to know the ways that we're to walk into. And we're going to need to know this as a body in these days ahead. They're going to be dangerous days, turbulent days. There's going to be a lot of fear. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be coming against us that are going to shake. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That's why we need to be in the Word and understand the Word. Understand the Word talks about His character, His nature, who He is. Amen? So, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are a faithful, covenant-keeping God who chooses us because of your ahava, your, your love that, that he chooses us. It's your sovereign choice. And, and I thank you for your chesed love that empowers us, Lord, to live according to the standards that you lay out for us, not what the culture lays out for us. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a loving God. Help us to understand love is, is not just a gooey, syrupy, warm, fuzzy, but love is the very nature of who you are. Help us to understand that in Yeshua's name. Amen, amen. As we enter into a time of worship, and I just want us to just focus on who he is, his love. This is also our time here at Or Chaim where we bring our tithes and offerings. The offerings, we bring our offerings to the Lord and our tithes, if it's considered, you consider Or Chaim your, your congregational family and we have baskets here in the front and also the box in the back and uh, that's just that's part of our worship is to give it. so let's just give it to the Lord and worship Him today
Lord is our shepherd. And we don't lack for any good thing because that's who our God is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for always watching out for us, Lord. Thank you for leading us by those still waters. Thank you, Lord, that we lack no good thing, that you reveal who we truly are and we can reveal who you truly are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. inside of you, the holy God, the maker of the heavens and earth, he lives within you, that's his promise, and he'll never leave you or forsake you no matter what you're going through, and that's our joy, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for your joy, the joy of your life within us.
even when we don't feel like you live within us, that indeed you do. <laughs> and you manifest yourself, Lord, through our words and through our deeds to those that are around us. Great are you, Lord. You bring life and you bring light. It's who you are. It's the nature of your character, Lord. So we lift our voices to praise you, to praise you, life giver, to praise you, light bringer, to praise you, hope restorer.
if we were singing that chorus about it's his breath in our lungs and so we pour on our praise just had this vision of king david when he was out in the field and he just wanted water so the people in his army risked their lives to go and to get him this water and when they brought it back he poured it out he poured it out as a drink offering this life-giving water that people risked their lives to go and get to honor him because he because of who he was said, who, who am I to receive this honor? So he poured out that life-giving water at the feet of the Lord because he is the life giver. So he asked us, I know some of you are recovering from that cold and it makes it really hard to breathe. This is your sacrifice to pour out your breath, the very thing that gives animation to your body to pour it out before him because he is great. So let's sing that again and just pour out your breath to him. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour it out. It's our breath.
presence is fullness of joy. You didn't die just for our salvation. You died to give us life and life abundant, full of joy, full of your favor, full of your blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your covenant.
to hear testimonies of just sharing God is going to open up more opportunities for your sharing doors are going to open and all we need to do is walk in you don't have to worry about what you're going to say you're just going to express the love of God you're just going to express God's love because you experienced his love in your life you can express that to somebody else the world, those that we know that are struggling, they, that's what they need is the message of God's love, real love, biblical love, the, the love that we read about in Yeshua, that we see in, in the life of Yeshua. He's calling us into that. It's going to be a year of, of going outside these walls and bringing his love to a, to a dark world. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I want to speak a blessing over the congregation. Invite everybody to. Uh, we're going to be having our own egg downstairs, and um, we're have a great time of fellowship and lunch. And, um, 
but I just, I sense I'm excited about the things that the Lord has for 2020. Being Jewish, we get three New Year's. You know that, right? You know, the real New Year is Nisan 1, which is Passover, right? But it's not really celebrated as the New Year. Then we have Rosh Hashanah or, or Yom Teruah, which is the New Year where we celebrate. We're in year 5780. And then we have this secular New Year that we all celebrated. Well, I didn't celebrate. I barely made it to midnight. We were waiting to see the ball drop, and we actually had to see it two hours earlier because it was like, they don't even show that here. And I'm like, at 10 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. But anyways, God's, God's got some good things in store for you personally and for Orchaim in this next year. I want to speak a blessing. Did you have a scripture? Oh, yes. Yes. Sunday night to Monday night. Sunday night to Monday night, we are praying on the wall. So if that's you and you know what hours ours is from 6 to 7, um, we pray for, and there's, and Devorah sent out a, uh, and if you haven't got it, talk to Devorah, uh, how to pray for that 24-hour period. So we want to see some things. God is, we're seeing changes even in this city. Numbers chapter 6. Lord speaks, God speaks to Moses to speak to Aaron and the priests. That when the children of Israel would gather, when the people would gather, the tribes would all gather, that you're to bless them and to bless them in this way. Shalom. 